Hello and welcome to the Raptors show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360 Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, Wayne Lu, alone in the studio once again. Um, Alex, get well soon, bro. I miss you. I think the fans miss you. I think the listeners miss you. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to hold it down. Obviously, free agency starts um, tonight, actually, at 6 p.m. Eastern. A uh, bit of a change from the NBA, moving it from uh, July 1st, which is usually when the uh, free agency period starts. There's a moratorium period afterwards in terms of signing. You can, of course, agree to deals. Uh, and, uh, you know, look, if you're at all an experienced NBA fan, you also know that tons of deals are probably agreed to way before the deadline. However, that is technically tampering, so teams can't really announce it and players can't technically announce it. Anyway, joining me to uh, preview what's about to happen later tonight uh, and also uh, probably in the coming weeks is uh, Sportsman's Michael Grange. Grange, how you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Well, hope you're doing well. I'm doing great, Grange. I hope you're doing well as well. It's been uh, it's been a little bit too long, but uh, of course we all know that uh, in this period um, it's going to be a busy time for everybody involved in covering basketball and even a team like the Raptors who I think odds were coming into this offseason that the draft was not going to be that eventful and it turned out to not be that eventful the Raptors took you know uh Christian Coloco with a 33rd pick made an undrafted signing pretty much exactly what you would have expected but none of that you know um fireworks in terms of potentially moving OG and then going into this free agency period it was basically like look it's pretty simple we have 30 million dollars you could split 10 of that on the mid-level exception. You give the other 20 to Chris Boucher and Thad Young, and that's it. You'll really only have one open roster spot as it currently is. Of course, you could weigh people or you can make trades to sort of open up more spots, but it should be a very quiet one. And um, Grange, I guess I wanted to start there. Just your sense of the level and the scale of activity that is likely about to happen for the Raptors in the next week or so. Um, I think you summed it up pretty well. Um you know, you always leave the possibility of something happening. And, you know, the size quote is, uh, it's the NBA. Things come up. <laughs> so yeah, next thing you know, you're trading DeMar DeRozan. But um, the uh, I think the way you've laid, out, you've laid it out makes most sense. I think there's a fair degree of confidence that they can, um, you know, keep Chris. They can keep Thad. Um and, you know, and then so the real question mark there is is what they end up doing with the mid-level. And in saying that, I would allow for the possibility. I think, I don't think it's a, you know, it's a crazy possibility of, of somebody swooping in on Chris and maybe offering him a little bit more term than the Raptors might be comfortable with. But I, I think they, like I said, I think they feel pretty good that they're going to be able to bring both those guys back. And then the middle level is is a bit of a wild, uh, you know, a question mark or a wild card. And um, I'm sure, you, well, I know you guys have been talking about it for weeks now. Uh, so it's I don't know if there's anything. I don't know if there's anything fresh I can offer you. Um, but one little wrinkle that's, um, you know, I can't take credit for this, but uh, Daniel Hackett, who does really good stuff with salary cap things mm-hmm. and, and all that on Raptors HQ, I believe. You know, he had an item and he mentioned that that. You know, as it relates to Coloco, um, you know, a, a wise strategy or a, a one strategy with your second round pick is you want to sign him for three years. Yes. And that avoids, you know, him turning into a free agent or an unrestricted free agent. Uh, that kind of just at the point where, you know, you want to keep him. And, but you can't sign him at three years for 
only the minimum exception. You have to pay him a little bit more than, than the league minimum. <clears throat> and so the way to do that is you dip into your, your uh, mid-level a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you kind of factor that in a little bit, um, it also, you know, you, it, it almost tempers your expectations that much more that, um, you know, they might, you know, Toronto might not even be using that complete full mid-level because they might want to have, might wanna have plans for that with uh, Coloco. But, um as I said, everything can change, but but I mean that's sort of how I interpret the landscape based on people I've talked to and you know and, and the information that's out there. Yeah, absolutely, and that that is a great point uh, that you're bringing up with Coloco and also with Daniel Hackett um, because you know look, I know the Raptors have the biennial exception as well. I believe the biennial exception can only be used to sign players up to two years, and again, Correct. the whole idea is to give them the third year because um, you know. Look, rookie contracts across sports are always the most, like, uh, bang-for-your-book kind of um, deals. And, you know, like, let's assume that you you give about a million, a million and a half off of that uh, mid-level exception because, really, rookie-scale deals are not that expensive, especially for second-rounders. But, uh, yeah, I think that would make sense. That would, as you mentioned, um, temper expectations for that mid-level. Honestly, Grange, we'll talk about the mid-level in a second, but a lot of the mid-level targets are not even that... You know, it's like if you miss on some of these guys, so what? Um, but anyway, listen, let, let's talk about, first off, uh, your, your story that you put out, um, you know, the Raptors may be active in free agency, but not at the cost of the team's fabric. This is up on sportsnet.ca as with all your work. And, and Grange, I actually really like this um, this little bit of information you put in here about, about Boucher and sort of his approach to um, how he's worked in the offseason. You sort of talk about um, he's been, you know, using the OVO facilities quite a bit, obviously, Players are free to train wherever in the offseason, um, but it seems like Chris has really made it a point to sort of stay home and stay close. Can you sort of give us more details on that? Yeah, so, um, you know, a lot of times teams will be kind of planning, you know, where if there's a particular target they have in free agency, they'll be kind of booking flights and making a trip and they want to hit all their people and and all of that. And with Chris probably being your your you know your most high-profile returnee, I was kind of talking to someone Saying, are you guys going to be going to to Montreal to go visit Chris? And I'm, nope, he's right here. <laughs> so, and funny enough, um, you know, he's been you know he's been in there uh, kind of late at night and kind of not first thing in the morning. His routine is more late at night and kind of lunchtime. So noon and noon and midnight, it sort of seems to be his mm. his hours. And um, I was just at the Team Canada uh, availability at OVO Center <clears throat> uh, this morning. And sure enough, who comes walking in as I'm walking out? It's Chris Boucher. And uh, <clears throat> I did my reporter back. I walked up to Chris. I go, Chris, what's going on? You coming back? Who are you signing with? Who are you meeting with? <laughs> Pardon me. And he, uh, unfortunately, has been, you know, he's smart enough to kind of keep his cards close to his vest and just kind of smiled and shrugged. But mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty good sign. The guy's, you know, spending his last day officially as a Raptor at the OVO Center. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, and and um, I'm actually curious why is why isn't Chris involved with uh, just Team Canada itself this cycle at least? Pardon, say that again, Will. Why isn't uh, is Chris involved with Team Canada in this cycle? Um, pardon me, I just kind of tickled my throat, but um, <clears throat> he's not. I mean, I think that could okay. be because he's a free agent. Sure. Yeah. And a lot of time, guys, the timing of that doesn't work out. And you know, I've never really had a chance to dig into that with Chris because. He was going to be with team with Team Canada 
at the World Championships in 2019, the first year Nurse was there, and he kind of pulled out last minute mm-hmm, yeah. and didn't uh, rejoin with the team last year. So <clears throat> I don't know exactly the details there, but uh, no, he's just going in for a workout. <clears throat> Ken Birch was there as well. He, uh, he, I saw him a couple of days this week. He is affiliated with Team Canada, but he's obviously not playing this summer with his knee. But he looked good. He's uh, getting shots up, moving pretty well. So there's another little Raptors tidbit. And uh, Lou Dort was also there. And so hmm. I made the obligatory, Lou, are you coming to Toronto? And he just kind of <laughs> smiled and shrugged and, and kind of went the other way and, and all that. I'm pretty sure he'll be back in OKC. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, yeah, um, um, OKC made the smart decision because they had a chance, I believe, if they had picked him up. His option, uh, I think he would have been unrestricted after next season. Um, however, uh, they chose to decline that and made him a restricted free agent. And uh, I think the chances are very good that he will re- resign. Now, I think in terms of uh, with Chris, you know, you kind of mentioned the idea of essentially like a two-year, $24 million deal. Maybe you tie <laughs> on a third year that has more of a team level of control for the Raptors rather than yeah. the player option. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's worth more than the mid-level, which I think that – for Chris, I think he's fully – he should at least expect to hear other teams calling in about a mid-level style of contract, which will start around $10 million per year. So you give him a little bit of a bump. Now, of course, as you also mentioned in your story, that um, there is a chance that a team offers him, let's say, four years, which is you could t- you could technically do on a mid-level. And, of course, that would be something that the Raptors might uh, balk at. But also at the same time, I think chances are pretty good that Chris is coming back. I think it's already been – kind of put out there by a couple other people that Thad Young is also going to come back. I heard the most yeah. recent one was two years, $10 million. I assume the second year of that will be a team option or some sort of partial guarantee. Uh, that's not a surprise concerning the Raptors made a point to get Thad when they traded for him at the deadline. All they kept talking about was two things. One, the experience that he brings, and also two, uh, acquiring his bird rights, which is very, very clear signs that they want to keep him. And I think that, you know, that's something that is uh, probably Thad is open to as well because he's only ever said positive things. He's almost been too yeah. effusive in his, in his um, you know, in his praise of the Raptors organization. It kind of takes out the mystery of it all. So assuming you got both of those guys <laughs> back, you got the mid-level exception, um, and, you know, that's a little bit less sexy. And I know you, you brought up a couple of names there too, but I also saw this, uh, this Twitter thread that you put out this morning. Yeah. And the first item you mentioned was uh, about DeAndre Ayton. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned while DeAndre Aiden has been linked to the Raptors by a few outlets, your understanding is that there have been no talks regarding Toronto landing the Sun Center. Um, now, obviously, uh, Aiden is restricted, so the Suns have the chance to match, but it really doesn't seem like the Suns want him. Like, this is not how you would court a guy who would uh, who would, you would want to keep. But, yeah, what's the – so what's the, the intel there is, the, you know, you haven't heard anything in terms of – Yeah, well, I, I mean, talk to people kind of in his camp, so to speak, and, and uh, you know, just ask that. Like, is, is the Raptors um, kind of had been in dialogue with you. And and uh, keep in mind, to acquire DeAndre Ayton it would require a sign-in trade, yes. right? So it's not the kind of deal that, A, could come together last minute, be very difficult, and, B, uh, could come together without dialogue – uh, that would, I think, you know, that would loop in agents, et cetera. In other words, this isn't sort of like a team could do it. And sometimes the agents don't know, right? The teams just make a deal and, oh, okay, that's how it's going to work. But um, in this case, clearly, you know, if you're an acquiring team for Aiton, you want to be assured that, A, he wants to be here. B, you want to have a really good idea, if not a very specific idea of what 
it would require for him to uh, to sign and be happy. And then, you know, so it's a complex deal. And because of the base year compensation stuff, which I'm, <clears throat> I'm not really going to claim that I understand the inside and out of. All I know is that whenever it says, anyone says base year compensation, the deals get very complicated yeah. and less and less likely. So, you know, so when all of that's factored in and, and the people who would be very much in position to know, saying there's, they really haven't had, they haven't had conversations involving the Raptors. I take that as, as a pretty good indicator, um, unless there's some really high-level subterfuge going on where, you know, they're really trying to keep things extra, extra under wraps. But, um, you know, you, you never say never to anything. But uh, so I don't see Aiton, you know, coming here. I can see why teams link to him because, you know, the Raptors need a big. But mm-hmm. when you actually try to break down how that could come together, it seems very unlikely. And then I would venture to say it's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I think... Look, at the minimum to outcompete what other teams would offer in a sign and trade, um, I think you probably have to at minimum give up OG, right? Like, I don't think this is just you give him Gary Trent Jr. and uh, Ken Birch and kind of make the contracts work, and the Suns just say, sure, we'll take that because I do think that other teams that even would be interested in signing with hypothetically would probably outcompete that. But it seems like this conversation is mo- uh, largely moot, which. Uh, I don't think it's that much of a surprise. Uh, the other player, uh, center-wise, that the Raptors have been um, persistently linked with ever since the start of the offseason, which I don't actually know when the offseason starts nowadays. I feel like the offseason starts like as soon as your team gets eliminated, the offseason starts for you, and you see rumors and all this other stuff. But, yeah, Rudy it's Gobert. Like the se- it's more like the season interrupts it, would be my interpretation of the offseason. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. We have the tricky yeah. business of having to watch and cover games where right. most fans are actually just most interested in terms of what might happen with their team. Not necessarily what actually happens sometimes. But, yeah, so one of these, you know, might happen kind of scenarios is the Raptors have been consistently linked to Rudy Gobert. I think uh, Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report has been sort of the, the at the forefront in terms of mentioning this a few times. Have you heard anything about the Raptors with Rudy Gobert? The only thing I can say about that is the Raptors aren't trading OG and OB. So, um, okay. if, if, you know, that's, that's not going to happen. I mean, that's I've just heard that multiple places, multiple times. <clears throat> so... You know, how you would acquire Rudy Gobert without including OG Ananobi, it seems like a bit of a mystery to me, let alone Pascal Siakam, <laughs> right? So That's definitely not um, Yeah, so I, I just, again, I mean, you can see it, you can kind of picture it, and why, sure, if, if you could snap your fingers and have Rudy Gobert on your roster, like, that'd be really good. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think it's a deal that the Raptors are, are kind of ready to make. I mean, the, the other thing, too, is... I kind of touched on this in my story is, um, you, you know, if you go back of, we're almost now 10 years of Masai Ujiri history, right? Mm. Um, he kind of tells you what's going on if you listen carefully enough. And, um, he, you know, you don't, you're not looking for him to lay it out for you specifically. But, you know, what he said publicly, what I've heard privately is this is very much patience, grow give it time. Um, they don't feel like they're in that. They very much feel like they're in that sort of 13, 14 uh, range of the Raptors last winning cycle. They don't feel like they're in the 17, 18 range where they've got a, you know, they've, they've you know, they feel like they're at the beginning of something. And, and so to kind of be at that stage and not just with a go bear, but a lot of these moves you kind of interpret, um, 
this isn't they don't I don't think they think this is the time to attach a really, really good young player, more than one really good young player, and a bunch of picks to acquire, you know, a guy who's thirty years old and on a two he's got what, a hundred and fifty million left on his contract. I mean, you know, it's not that they wouldn't do that, but I just don't think that they, they're in the they they think this is the time to make that move. Right. So again, that'd be the other reason. But the, the the one thing I can tell you is OGM and Obi's not moving. And so how you pull the kind of significant deals people get excited about without including OGM and Obi is it gets you know, it, it's pretty hard. I mean, if there were a move to be made that would include Gary Trent Jr., that wouldn't shock me. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not reporting that the Raptors are trying to do that, but you know, kind of by process of elimination He's the figure that you could kind of, if you were trying to do do a deal, if there was something you were trying to make happen, you know, he 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 might. He's kind of like the most obvious guy on the roster. No disrespect to Gary Trent Jr., but I think in all cases the most likely scenario is some version of the status quo. Yeah, absolutely. And look, it's always very exciting at this at this period. You know, thinking about what might happen. Does this make sense? You know, hypothetically looking at. Fits and you know if that puts you in contention, all that stuff. Um, I mean, realistically, yeah, as you mentioned, I think the Raptors are going to take that patient approach, and I think Masai has been actually very true to his word on that front. Um, to the point about OG, though, I, I guess his name has come up a few times. I think obviously there was that. Um, let's be real, the, the the OG to Portland rumors was very heavily pushed by Portland side of things. Hundred percent. Um, but and, and as you mentioned, though, um, but I, I would say this. Yeah. Well, like the Raptors were perfectly happy to have it out there, <laughs> you know, like not in the sense of they wanted, you know, they were, they were seeding it, yeah. but once it got out there, right. Guess what happens? You get a call from every team in the league. And so they have a much better idea um, what, you know, the value of whatever packages OGO and Anobi could be included in than they did before that all got out there. Right. So it wasn't like, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, it was a good problem to have. Like it's sort of, you know, uh, it, it was almost like uh, whoever, like, it's definitely Portland trying to make do things right by Dame Lillard. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's not bad to have that kind of information in your uh, in your file. I guess would be the way to put it. That's fair. No, that's fair. Um, now, I think that the conclusion that the Raptors have come to, and also it, it's just what you're saying here, is just they're not trading OG. And I, I, I mean, I don't think there's any need to trade OG whatsoever. I think he fits the team really nicely. I think he fits the identity of the team. Is there a particular reason why? They value OG to this degree. I just think that they they really really believe in his upside. You know, okay. I think, um, and I don't think that they interpret it any differently than anyone that watches this team really carefully would either. Right? Like we've right. all seen uh, long stretches where he's been as good at that role as you could almost be in the league. Right? Like he's had months, not weeks, not games, but months where he shot mid to high 40s at three. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just devastated teams defensively. He's a terror in the passing lanes. He's huge. He's, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, there's just so many positives. Yeah. And really, the only negative is um, he's probably not ready to be as high a usage of ball handler as maybe he wants to be. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, that's that's fine. Like, that, that can still come. And, and otherwise, just getting on the floor, right? So... I think with this team, I can promise you that they're kind of doing the math of, um, you know, if we get OGN and OB for 70, 75 games, 
I think they still believe that Pascal Siakam is, you know, it's not like he's got another gear, mm. but I think that, that the gear he found sort of the second half of last year is a real thing right. and that they right. can really rely on that. And then, you know, the other internal improvements with Precious Atua and whatever else they do in terms of, um, you know, this mid-level or whatever that might be. I, I, I think they think that team is good and, and, and on the right track. But, you know, a big, big part of that is MLB playing, you know, 75 games instead of 45 games. And you will see that ever happens. But, I mean, I think that's what they're kind of counting on. So, right. um, so I think that's why. You know, uh, I, I think it really is as simple as that. I, I think they really believe in the player. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. I agree. I echo all of that. I, I think it actually is just like sometimes it needs to be said a little bit because when you start to go down the free agency period and you haven't seen the players play for a long time and you get to, you get more involved, I guess, in your mind in terms of like what you could do and sort of moving pieces around, you kind of like lose sense of like what it is that people are holding on to. And I think that with OG... There's always been a lot of enthusiasm with his career, with him start stepping in and, and starting as a rookie and, and actually doing really well. I still remember that first game he played uh, as a starter. I think he was against the Houston Rockets, and he matched up against James Harden and actually got that. That was like an MVP level of James Harden. That wasn't the sixer mm-hmm. level of James Harden. James Harden was best, yeah. Yeah, and he, and he did such a good job on him, and there's always been this level of enthusiasm, and I think the Raptors are very wise to hold on to that, especially because all the trades, even like, you know, Wolves reported like there was like a, a seventh pick, and then you got you got Hart, and you got a future first, and it's like that's not enough for me, man. Especially the way the league is going, where, where where wings, even if they stay the same, their value is going up because teams all want wings, almost yeah. nothing else, just wings. And OG and I, is like the type of guy every team would want. So no, I need more than that. Yeah, and I don't think that they're ready to. I mean, I could see them doing that if they've kind of. You know, let's just say we're having this conversation a year from now, and 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 things really haven't progressed. You know, and maybe you're in a position where maybe the you know Fred Pascal is you know that's maybe the you know maybe we've got to pivot and really build around Scotty, and then you know then maybe you know the things get much more wide open in terms of what you might consider doing. But I think that they still believe that there's a lot of meat on this bone for this team as constructed not not to say that it's it doesn't need to grow and they don't need to add to it but but uh, i think they like their core yeah fair enough all right well look we've talked about more expensive centers um gobert um and making around 40 and deandre Aiden probably going to make around 30 uh what about yaka pertle <laughs> former raptor uh yak and skills number nine pick obviously from the barnani trade which is still a miracle to this day and uh, later used, obviously, to acquire Kawhi and Danny Green, which led to the championship. He's been with the Spurs ever since. But, uh, you know, you mentioned, is there a way for the Raptors to bring back Jakob Apparently, they've already tried to reacquire him. So, you know, what's your thoughts there? <laughs> My understanding is it's almost become like, uh, not a joke, but it's, it's almost it's not a meme. That's probably not fair either. Mm. But there have been, like, regular conversations over the years about somehow getting Jakob Bertel back for, because he's, you know, a plus character, a plus defender. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, and, and brings other qualities as well. So um, they were, I think if they were being honest, I think their preferred target at the trade deadline was Jakob Bertel. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I think they were willing to go as much <laughs> as, much as two first. Um, you know, to what level of production, I don't know, but, um, you know, they, they just couldn't get it done. 
And so I think they've almost like thrown up their hands. Okay, I guess it's not in the fate for us to 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 grab this guy. Um, it did, but it is interesting, right? Like it's pretty clear that um, San Antonio's, you know, they're not rebuilding; they're tanking, oh, yeah. and um, you know they're trying to do uh, they're trying to turn Victor Wembanyama into the next Tim Duncan, I guess. But um, by the way, you, you, he plays for t- uh, Tony Parker's team. Right, although he just, I think he just left. Like, I think he just went to another team mm, or some, uh, like, he, 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 there was, it was, he was, it was almost like a, like, what do you call it? Like, he, he declined his option and became a free agent and joined some other team anyway. Okay. But uh, this is an 18 year old in France. But um, all that to say that I'll be pretty surprised if there's not an opportunity for some team to acquire Jakob Pertl. Maybe right. it's not in the free agency period. Maybe it's, you know, the, more towards the deadline. I mean, he's, you know, he's only on about a $9 million deal. Yeah. So, you know, I think the question the Raptors might be asking themselves is, you know, do we want to give up uh roster and draft capital for, you know, a year and a bit of, of Jakob Pertl when we can maybe get some facsimile of Jakob Pertl, you know, without losing anything of our roster or, or draft capital. And, you know, that might be, you know, when you kind of stand back and look at it, that might be a, a, a smarter way to go or a more efficient way to go, you know, and so then you get into, you know, who's out there in free agency. But um, all I can say is what I told you is, is I know they've tried. I'm sure they'd love to have them, but I don't know if there's any traction or anything like that. Fair enough. And listen, if the Spurs, I mean, I don't really, I guess I know the Spurs are tanking. Um, but just because you're tanking doesn't mean you want to trade away all your good players. Though they did move um, Dejounte Murray, that was a really, really nice mo- um, pick package that they received. But I mean, I don't think Pirtle. If they said no to two firsts or even anything remotely like two firsts, then I'm, I'm a little surprised because I, I guess they really want to re-sign him then because he would be expiring after next season. Um, all right. Well, terms- I, I, the other thing I can say is, is I'm sure they're sitting going, "Wow, we can get that in the off season, or we can get that next year." Right? I think. Good. You know, I think at that time, if you go back to the trade deadline, then they were still not for playing, right? So yeah, that's true. You know, I don't think they were really ready to to kind of call it quits, and they clearly are. <laughs> it would seem to me. Yeah, fair enough. So, fair enough. Um, okay, in terms of the mid-level targets, um, look, there's probably a ton of players, and honestly, me and Blake went through probably like 15 of them, and. Honestly, most of them are thoroughly unimpressive. Um, you brought up two names, Dante DiVincenzo, um, perhaps even a guy like Thomas Bryant, both guys who, coming off of injuries, didn't have impressive years, but um, had shown promise before, youngish players, very different player. Obviously, DiVincenzo's a shooting guard. Bryant is a center. Um, you know, your thoughts on their fit, I guess, with the Raptors, if they yeah, were potentially to I take mean- that? I mean, I think I think DiVincenzo, I think that was a little bit of a surprise that he became a free agent, right? right. Um, because, you know, Sacramento made a pretty good effort to get him last year. So, mm-hmm. again, Sacramento screws up. Um, so, I think I think DiVincenzo would be a guy the Raptors would would definitely be interested in. And I say that knowing that I think they had a, they were really closely monitoring uh, Pat Connaughton's status uh, with the Bucs. He was he had a player option on about a $6 million deal and he, he picked it up, which is a little bit surprising, right? Cause he yeah. could have, he's coming off a really good year. He probably could have done better, but I, I presume he's confident the bucks will take care of him down the road. So, you know, when you, if that, if you know that that's who they were, some they were interested in, it's not hard to make the jump that DiVincenzo would fill a lot of those boxes too. Um, if anything, he's maybe even a little bit better fit cause he's 
he's a little bit more of a, a ball handler, ball creator guy. He brings you know, you know, an elite defender, and and you know, he's as you point out, like he had a really tough time coming back for that injury. Mm-hmm. That ankle injury, but if you go back to his last full season, like he was a 38% three-point shooter, mind you, yeah. taking threes when Giannis is you know dragging four defenders with him is probably a little easier than doing it maybe in some other places. But but uh, you know, and he's 25, and you know, I talked to one agent, and they thought he would be maybe kind of somewhere between the taxpayer mid-level and the full mid-level, so somewhere between that six to ten million dollar range. So. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on years, could probably be a decent uh, decent pickup. But that said, I think a lot of teams will have some interest in him because at that price range, um, Thomas Bryant's interesting. Again, you got to kind of throw out his past season just because he came back from a year off and was I don't want to say he was terrible, but he wasn't didn't show all that great. No, he was not. But if you look at you know if you look at his performance at the end of the season in the bubble to the beginning of the season the year before when he got hurt. You know, he was shooting 40-plus percent from three on a high volume, you know, good rebounder, you know, really good all-around offensive player. And he's a guy I think you get cheap, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe that's where your biannual exception comes in. I don't think you'd have to dig too far into your mid-level if you used it. So maybe, maybe, right? You can If you can do something with Brian on your biannual, biannual exception, then, you know, you still can use your mid-level, and that's where you can go and get – you know, like DiVincenzo or who knows, maybe even DeLon Wright, somebody with your backcourt a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, lastly, oh, with Bryant too, um, college team is with OG and also uh, right. same agency as Pascal and uh, Justin Champagne as well. Um, lastly, I want to ask you about Team Canada, which uh, you've been reporting on as well. And, of course, this is training camp. They got some. Uh, they got a game coming up. Uh, this weekend uh, against, I believe, the DR in... Um, Correct. Yep, Friday night. In Hamilton. In Hamilton, yep. It's going to be a great time. I think the attendance, I think that's always, somehow Team Canada always comes back to the attendance, which I kind of get tired of talking about, and I feel like the program is more than just, like, which players ultimately attend. But also, at the same time, this is what people are always interested in. Who ended up showing up to Team Canada? What's the attendance like? Because at least with the men's side, it's always this conversation of, are the best players going to show up? This the attendance was very strong. Yeah, well, I mean, they they you know to their credit, they kind of preempted a lot a lot of this, and they said, listen, you know, we've got a pool of what are twenty twenty five uh, legitimate NBA top European pros, and you know we're going to say this like if the if you fourteen of you guys commit, we'll commit to you, mm. and uh, you'll you'll be at the World Championships and you'll be at the Olympics with us. If you don't commit. You know, maybe we'll, you know, maybe someone will come up and there'll be a spot. And uh, and I think that was a smart move. And as a result, they, they've got, they had 14 really good players, a nice mix of players, uh, put their hands up. And, and I think all but two of them, as far as I can tell, are in Toronto attending uh, workouts. The ones, there's uh, five or six of them that are going to play. And on, on Sunday, there's another eight or 10 who are, you know, the commitment they require is that you, you come, you're at workouts, you're in meetings, you're participating in the right. program, right. Um, understanding that Jamal Murray's not going to make his competitive debut after being missing 15 months with an ACL, uh, you know, against the Dominican Republic. That's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Right. But he's been there. He's been very prominent. Um, but, you know, so you've got – and I think that's that's the way forward for this program. I think – it built a little spirit, built some camaraderie. It takes the distraction or the emphasis away from the guys who don't show up or that question always of who's here, who's not. And uh, 
it's a smart move. And so as a result, like Friday in Hamilton, backcourt of Shea Gilgis Alexander and Nikhil Alexander Walker, mm-hmm. uh, both with ties to the area, um, you know, playing together for the first time since they were kids. And uh, along with, I think Dwight Powell is going to be playing, Kelly Olenek's going to be playing. And I'm blanking. I think there's one other guy who's going to play too. So still a really good lineup. And then, you know, and, and I think it's a, a good first step forward for this group. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think the the reports out of it also sound really encouraging in the sense that, you know, obviously Jamal has been very active and, and, and he's in, been participating, but also Shea in particular, who right. obviously he did not end up playing um, in the World Cup qualifier, which was a bit disappointing. I think there was a contract situation at that time. He's got his he long-term his, contract. Yeah. And it seems like he has been one of the people, especially as given his stature in the league, as just genuinely one of the best guards in the league. Him stepping up and saying, I'm committed to this program, I want to be here, I think that probably helps down the line as well. So can you just sort of describe Shea's uh, level of participation? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, he's a great dude, right? He's really personable, really chill. And, you know, and he's one of these guys when he's talking, you really kind of get the vibe that this is actually what he's feeling, you know, and not to say you don't get that from people other times, but a lot of times NBA players can't have no choice but to be, pretty guarded yeah um you don't get that feeling with Shea and you know he was the story he kind of shared was when they they had a meeting with Team Canada Mm -hmm. and all their prospects all the people they wanted you know to participate in Las Vegas at Summer League last year um before Nick Nurse could even make his pitch so to speak you know Shea stood up and says I'm playing right and uh that kind of sets the tone right and you know, and then part of that is because I think his cousin, Nikhil, was awesome for Team Canada Victoria last year, had a great time. Yep. I think he loves basketball. I think they love playing together. Um, Shay, people forget, was on the men's national team in 2016 as a 17-year-old in the Philippines mm. uh, at the first Olympic qualifying tournament. Him and RJ were on that team. And, uh, you know, just there for experience, really. Excuse me. So I think his... his uh, his feelings run deep and uh, I think he loves to play. And, you know, and I think when he, somebody like that steps forward and Jamal Murray steps forward, it really does carry a lot of weight. And I think it bodes well. Um, and it's the right time in their career for them too, right? Like they've yep. got their money. Uh, they're still pretty young. They don't have a ton of miles on them yet. And uh, they've got a chance to do something historic and that appeals to certain players. And I think it appeals to those guys. Absolutely. Hey, last thing, not to ask for too much. No problem. But, I'm all yours, Will. Oh, no. I, no, I, was, I, I was thinking about in terms of... Because I think fans, Raptor fans, like to joke about this a lot, about a recruitment edge. You know, <laughs> Nick Nurse being the head of the, the head coach and obviously a lot of the same coaching staff is around and you're at OVO and you're home and this is the only team in Canada and obviously, you know, none of these guys are free agents and, you know, like a guy like Lou Dort is restricted. He's not going to come right now. But, like... Is there some sort of value in that? In, in that, or is there some sort of? I 100 percent think there is. Yes, that's what I wanted to hear, Grange. That's what I wanted to hear. Um, Come but on, I, you know, I would only say this: like, okay, the advantage only has to be small, right? Like, it, it, it it's like why does you know why do casinos make billions and millions? Well, because they have a 52 percent chance of winning all the bets versus yeah. you know a 48 percent, right? Like, you don't. It doesn't have to push the odds in your favor all that much 
But when you're dealing with a pool of 20 to 25 Canadians in the league at any given time, and that number almost seems like it's going to stay constant, right? When you look at, you have four more guys drafted this year. Um, you're just looking for the right one or two guys at the right, in the right one or two summers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so if, if, if and when R.J. Barrett is a free agent, if and when Shea Gilsuk, Alexander, like, if you don't want to spend in, in Oklahoma City, I, I doubt it. Right, like after seven years, you kind of want to do something different. Um, and it's not—you uh, know—you don't have all the other obstacles other players might have in their minds about coming to Toronto for a guy like on down this endless list. It's like you're coming home, and I think you're familiar with the building, you're familiar with the organization, you're with the training, you're familiar with the coaching. Um, at some point, it will be an advantage. It will lend itself to something positive happening for the rap. And you know, I don't think I'm going to see him without really signing off on all this stuff. If they don't see this as being a long-term benefit, you know. So I would say this. Yeah, I I do think it'll pay off. I think I do think at some point, um, you know, the the Worlds will collide, and the or the timing will be right, and uh, it will be the difference maker in you know a really important player coming to Toronto. There you go. All right, Grange, thank you for all of uh, you know your time here today, all your reporting, and uh, yeah, I mean it's going to be a busy, uh, long weekend for you as it always is. Really, you know, for agency <laughs> really doesn't care about uh, Canada Day or yeah. anything. Or no, sports, sports and long, sports and holiday weekends, uh, they don't go together very well. No. Unless you're so. But yeah, seriously, Grinch, thank you. No problem. Enjoy. Have uh, have a happy Canada Day to everybody. There you go. All right. Thank you to Michael Grange. Uh, I believe he was passing through a series of tunnels towards the end there, so we do apologize for the uh, the audio, but I'm pretty sure he said very positive things about the level of commitment that uh, you know the Raptors have put into the Canadian national program uh, on the basketball side, and also, you know, hopefully in down the line. If you ever think about the Raptors having an advantage in free agency, which almost always never happens, if there ever was one, this would be the one, obviously, right? And I think that, uh, again, the the better that the Canada program does, obviously they have a great coach at the top of it, at Nick Nurse, who obviously, you know, the organization has been very supportive in all levels, not just letting them use the facilities. We're talking about exposure. We're talking about lending resources. We're talking about all sorts of actual genuine investment into the sport of basketball in Canada. And, uh, yeah, hopefully eventually it will pay off. But we're, we're a little overdue for a break, so we're going to take one. I've been your host, Will Lou, and you've been listening to The Raptors Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm your host, Wim Liu. Um, so I'm going to try something else, something new for the uh, second segment. Um, obviously, we had Grange come on and give us uh, scoops and updates on sort of where the Raptors are uh, as on the eve of free agency. And, of course, a lot will probably change. By the way, there is no live show tomorrow. Like, we're not going to be on the radio or on TV or on uh, YouTube. But very, very 
likely there will be news pertaining to the Raptors, and so very likely there will be a podcast. So just look out for that. If you're not subscribed to the podcast feeds, I don't know what you're doing, but make sure you do that and uh, rate, review, subscribe. Anyway, so what I'm going to try for the second segment, because Alex is not here, and again, Alex got well soon, but um, he will be here probably down the line eventually. But because he's not here, and because I didn't want to make him get book another guest, I'm going to try to carry 10 minutes solo, which I guess happens all the time when I'm doing the reaction podcast, but uh, I'd actually not done yet um, on this program itself. So really what I wanted to get into was sort of just the idea of like people and fans getting a little bit lost in the free agency frenzy. I think it's really fun, uh, and I kind of alluded to this in the conversation with Grange, but people kind of lose sight of a couple of things, and I think... In this period, probably people give probably the worst takes. Probably people get most carried away. And the idea isn't to give the right take or the idea isn't to, you know, always be rooted in, in reality. I think, you know, obviously fandom is supposed to be this sort of indulgent experience where you sort of imagine. And, you know, if you give bad takes, who cares, right? But ultimately, I do think that a lot of perspective gets lost. And so I kind of I just wanted to bring up a couple of things that kind of keep us grounded in sort of where this moment is. So number one, I think it's very important to think about as the Raptors head into free agency here, where are they right now, right? And I think with this team, so they come off a season where they win 48 games. They were uh, the fifth seed. They lose in six games in the first round. Um, That's the overall scope. I think the other thing to keep in mind is how good are the Raptors because after January 1st, uh, so just in the calendar year of 2022 alone, the Raptors won 33 games. The only team in the Eastern Conference who won more than that was the Boston Celtics, who, as you remember, was like 24-3 and three at some point of a stretch in the second half of the season. Anyway, the Celtics, even with that stretch, had only won 34 games, right? So uh, the Raptors were at minimum on par with the upper half of the Eastern Conference. That's what allowed them to make the playoffs. That's what allowed them to jump out of the, the play-in division uh, into high securing a, a, a you know a playoff spot pretty s- safely by the uh, last week of the season. Um during that time, after January 1st, they were 16th on offense and they were 6th on defense, which I think is not a surprise. I think part of that is obviously Fred being injured, took away a lot of your three-point shooting. Um, you know, I think Gary and OG missed a lot of time in that stretch as well. OG barely played after the All-Star break. Um, so being 16th on offense is not that surprising. However, they really did get a lot more solid defensively. And they kind of approached that team that coming into the season, best case scenario, that's what you would have expected was the Raptors being a really, really good defensive team uh, with a offense that should just get them by, which is essentially what happened after January 1st. Obviously in the playoffs, what happened? Game one, bit of a shell shock. They're probably going to lose that game regardless. I think the young team there uh, were not fully prepared for the intensity and also just the uh, overall moment of playing uh, against the Sixers uh, starting on the road in Philadelphia. Then you, on top of that, you have Fred getting injured, uh, Scotty Barnes having his foot stepped on, and that looked really bad for a second. Luckily, he was able to come back. And then Thad Young, also somebody who picked up for the playoffs in particular, you know, he gets lost for game one as well. So it's not a surprise that the Raptors lost game two. Game three, that was the game that was very pivotal. The Raptors had a chance there to win. Precious Achua drives baseline. James Harden fouls him. He gets sent to the free throw line. Harden fouls out with that foul. Precious has two chances to, to, to take the lead in regulation. That ultimately doesn't happen. And, of course, Embiid hits that shot at the very end there. That kind of was the series because if the Raptors had taken that, we saw what the Raptors did in games five and six. There was a real good chance for the Raptors to flip that but it was a little bit too late losing the first round. Now, that's where the Raptors are right now. I think the other question to ask yourself is, like, what do the Raptors have, right? And the Raptors are actually in a really, really strong position because every core player 
on the team is on a valuable contract. They have lots of two-way wings, which is exactly what every team in the league wants right now. And if you break it down even further in terms of the players who are under contract, there's nine guys under contract right now. The players who are increasing in value year after year based on last year, Fred Van Vliet has increased in value. Pascal Siakam has increased in value. Gary Trent Jr. has increased in value. Scotty uh, Barnes has definitely increased in value. And Precious Achua has done the same thing. I would argue OG has also increased in value, but I think he didn't have the best year. However, wings are so much more important that what we're seeing right now is teams obviously trying to make all these trades for OG. And as I discussed with Grange, you know, the Raptors aren't, pro- aren't going to give up OG unless it's going to be a really good deal. So I would say he's probably increasing in value, but if you want to say his play stagnated, that's fine. I think Chris Boucher, just based on if he ends up re-signing, he probably stagnated in value year after year. At, at age 29, I don't see another jump for him to take. However, over the course of the season, he definitely also increases his own value, which is why he's a very valuable free agent. The only players this season you would say decline in value, I would say Ken Birch, largely because of the the knee injury, and we'll see how he looks. And then Malachi Flynn, who never really got a chance after a promising rookie year to do something. But it's not a surprise. A lot of players struggle um, you know, to, to make their mark in the league. And, and it's just, I guess Malachi hasn't had his moment yet. And then I would argue Thad Young probably declines in value just because he's older and he's on a, he's at that phase of his career. But largely speaking, what you're looking at is a team where they're all very young, all improving in value, all very valuable. Things are very good. That's what the Raptors have. Obviously we know Fred and Pascal are the leaders of the team, the core of the team. You probably add Scotty into that. OG's probably has added into that. Um, and then I think you also have a good reputation here. Like, it's a team that um, has a really good organizational culture. There's a reputation for winning. There's no drama here in Toronto. Uh, and the players are always known to develop here, right? That's the one common thing. You hear newcomers, whether they're rookies, whether they're free agent signings, whether they're traded players, they always talk about how the Raptors are known for development. And not only that, more important than known for development is that they pay you once you develop. Because you see tons of players join the Raptors and ultimately improve their play and get paid. And the list, Fred, OG, Pascal, Norman Powell, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Jonas Valanciunas, Terrence Ross, you know, it's just the list kind of goes on and on and on. Like, they they do this, and not only do they improve you, but they also pay you afterwards, which I think is very, very important. Now, I think the question obviously becomes, what do the Raptors need? And it's pretty clear to me, um, they need more shooting. Last past season, the Raptors were 19th in three-point makes and 20th in three-point percentage. Those were among the worst marks for all the teams that were heading into the playoffs. And that became a problem in the playoffs where they averaged 9.83s made per game on about 29% shooting in the Sixers series. You're going to be very hard-pressed to beat any team in the playoffs shooting that few number of threes and also hitting that low of a percentage. And I think when you look at the roster... Really, you had three above-average shooters. Obviously, Fred was very, very good. Honestly, elite in the first half of the season. Second half of the season, he cooled off. Gary Trent Jr., borderline elite in the first half of the season, also cooled off second half of the season. And then OG Anobi was pretty consistent throughout, but of course had injuries, so he wasn't able to play all the time. Because you only had three shooters, it does limit the way you're able to play. And obviously, we saw lots of teams zone the Raptors. That's where they needed the adjustments. That's what they need the most is more shooting in this league. And when you're looking at the mid-level exception, that's why I've always sort of pushed for another shooter in that spot. Of course, it's very expensive acquiring shooting in the league. The other thing the Raptors probably need is more size. Um, You know, obviously we saw the Embiid matchup was very difficult for the Raptors to handle. They had nobody really to answer that. 
Uh, you also saw the Raptors were 24th in defensive rebounding rate and also 20th in foul rate. So they fouled a lot. They also didn't have uh, somebody to always secure and finish possessions for you. I do wonder how much of that is system. Um, the Raptors do kind of, even when they had bigs, they still weren't, you know, like when they had Serge and Mark, you know, true, true bigs, veteran bigs who know what they're doing. They still were not a great defensive rebounding rate. I think this is partially to do with the system. And I have to say, outside of Embiid, the other center positions, whether you're looking at uh, their matches against Jokic, whether you're looking at the matches against Anthony Towns, and DeAndre Aiden, a Gobert, the Raptors did really, really well. The only guy they actually struggled to guard was Embiid, which, unfortunately, that was the guy they played. So that's what they need. And I think, really, the, the last thing I want to leave you with is the trades that you're entertaining, the trades you're hearing about. Does that make the Raptors elite? On either end, because that has to be a very, very important question. We know the Raptors are a very, very good team. They just need to jump into that elite status. And I don't think they're elite on either end of the floor yet right now. But does the trade that you make or does the signing that you make push you in that direction? And if not, then ask yourself why would the Raptors fully make that trade when they're already in a good position? And that's the only thing I think, um, you know, free agency is, you know, it's 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 a wild time. I think you probably think about a lot of stuff. You probably try to entertain all these different scenarios. But I think as long as you sort of keep a bit of a perspective, uh, you'll probably have, I don't know, maybe more of a peaceful time uh, in, in dealing with the free agency period. But it starts tonight, and I uh, look forward to covering it, obviously, uh, through podcasts and also on the show next week. Lastly, before I go, quick shout-outs. Derek Randale, Jennifer Olnick, producer Rob, Ryan Fabro, Kyle Crabe, Greg Sansoni, Pet Flash. Shout-out to our guests, Savannah Hamilton, Asad Alvey, Blake Murphy, Vivek Jacob, Michael Grange this week. So I want to remind people, you can get tickets still to the CCYA Celebrity Classic. The tickets are available at ccya.org. Event is next Saturday, July 9th. Me and Alex will be doing play-by-play. We'll have tons of celebrities there, including Jeremy Lin, including Simu Liu, including Ronnie Chang, who's about to take a red-eye flight, and, you know, Hassan Minaj. Like, lots of really great celebrities. It's going to be a great moment in Canada. But for me, that does it for us today. I'm your host, Will Liu, and you'll be listening to The Raptor Show on Sports 590 The Fan. Yeah. Happy Canada Day to everybody. Enjoy the long weekend. Enjoy refreshing your phone for uh, Woj and Shams updates. And uh, I'll speak to you soon.